The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. Hope you're having a wonderful start to a very meaningful, powerful time. Hey, I've got an Independence Day quiz for you. See how up you are on things. What's red, white, and blue, and gross? Uncle Spam. Note that. Uh, where did uh, George Washington buy his hatchet? At the chopping mall. At the chopping mall. You know how that is. And, uh, where, where did, uh, what, what was Betsy Ross's favorite sport? Flag football. Flag football. <laughs> By the way, point of interest, Erica, my wife, uh, is a descendant of Betsy Ross, she tells me. The, the seamstress stuff didn't really come down line for her, but <laughs> at least genetically she is. And finally, what did American colonists thirst for? Liberty. Liberty. And actually, in many respects, that's so true. That they did thirst for liberty. That's the spirit of independence. At the heart of this incredible thing called the United States of America is, is a thirst for, a passion for a transformative spirit that could remake lives. And as we come to this time uh, in our annual cycle in this country, it's a time to take stock in this and to connect with that vital spirit and, and further it through our own efforts and express it more fully in our own lives. In our teaching, which is called The Science of Mind and Spirit, it's really all about empowering the spiritual endowment and truth in every individual the spiritual greatness in every individual. And in exactly the same way, the founding patrons and and matriarchs of our country, they were about empowering the spiritual endowments and the spiritual greatness in every individual. And as a platform for that was the revolutionary quest for unparalleled freedom and equality. And more specifically back then, it was freedom uh, from taxation without representation. Uh, It was uh, freedom from a state-designated religion, for we we were designed to be a pluralistic society religiously, spiritually, and also uh, that there might be opportunity and justice for all. And so it's written, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. The preamble. A very young nation, a small group of people, powerful principles, so powerful that the founding men and women of this country would go up against the greatest nation of that day. And as has been read, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unalienable rights, rights that can never be taken from you, no matter what, can never be taken from any human being on this planet, no matter what. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What an incredible vision and how powerful this is. And so, yes, it's our opportunity, perhaps our responsibility, to take stock at this time of that which we're a part, of the great vision, and and to 
express our appreciation uh, for those who started it moving forward and, and for the many who sacrificed on our behalf over the many years. And I think at this time it's also important for us to look at the climate of things. There seems to be an unprecedented amount of frustration and angst, discouragement. I'm not sure that we, uh, that perhaps only in Civil War times was this nation more divided than it is in this day and time. Uh, so much polarization, uh, so much rancor and spite, uh, partisan politics, uh, like, a, like a, a pendulum swinging from one extreme to another and only meager amounts of real progress going on. We take stock in that and wonder what can we do? How can we be? What are the answers? And it seems also that the quest for true freedom and equality still calls to us. We're not there entirely. I mean, it was 87 years after that Declaration of Independence that Abraham Lincoln stood at Gettysburg and he wrote four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men and women are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. And then a hundred years after that, Martin Luther King Jr. would stand at the memorial to Lincoln. One hundred years after he signed the Emancipation Proclamation, King would stand there and declare, I have a dream. I have a dream. And the first dream he articulated is that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equally. We have a lot of work to do. We're not done. The vision is not fulfilled and it calls to us. And I guess the question is, will we work together to create a brighter future or a drearier future? Well, I'm forever the optimist because I know of the creative power that lies in every individual, in you and me. So I want to offer four steps, four attitudes that we can all assume They all four start with the letter C. So for me, it's about foreseeing a brighter future for all of us. What? What? The first, caring. Caring. You know, it's very easy to to get very pessimistic and very down and uh, critical and apathetic and... uh, Maybe what we're called to now is to care even more vividly, more powerfully for the original purpose to support the spiritual endowment and greatness in every being, to truly create a, a, a form of government that might proliferate around the world that, that is about freedom and equality. Maybe it's time to care even more deeply for that vision and not lose sight of that and, and maintain a literacy of the heart in this wonderful nation of ours. Adlai Stevenson, he, he, he wrote that uh, when an American says he loves his country, he means not only that he loves the New England hills, the prairies glistening in the sun, the wide and rising plains, the great mountains and the sea. He means that he loves an inner air, an inner light in which freedom lives and in which a person can draw the breath of self-respect.
Yeah, caring for that. And I think it's also about caring for one another. As our young people so beautifully articulated, it can be detrimental, it's not productive in any way to be demonizing others, to be creating greater division, divisiveness. We may not always agree, probably we won't, but demonizing another never works. Martin Luther King himself says, you have very little morally persuasive power with those who feel your underlying contempt. So what it calls us to do is heal our underlying contempt. Be clear about our issues and what we stand for, but to heal the underlying contempt, to care, and to become united in that caring, even if we're not united entirely on policies or procedures or pathways. And it's really caring about not only blessing our United States of America, but creating a world that works for everyone, everywhere. And I believe we have the leadership capacity to do that. And I believe it begins with caring. And then it continues on to contemplating. It's very powerful to contemplate what's possible in our own lives. And you know, in your life and mine, if I won't look at what's not working, I really can't achieve uh, greater progress toward what can work in my life. So we have to contemplate our vision, and we have to contemplate where we're at now in our current reality. And even if it's a, a long distance, it creates some, some structural tension if I'm clear about where I am and where I want to go that can pull me forward. And in that way, I believe that it's important for us to contemplate what's going on. And does it really true up and align with the originating principles and vision of our country? And to be clear about that. I know also, as I work with myself and others in terms of growth and spiritual maturity, that I know that I and others, we must be constantly working on our shadow. The elements in ourselves that are less evolved and that we hide away. But if you hide away non-productive elements in your life, they're only going to uh, emerge with a greater resurgence and, and be even more toxic in the individual life. And just so I think it's important to look at the shadow elements and the shadow side of our own country, that we might evolve it and perfect it. Now, I know some would say, well, that's not very patriotic. I would say that it's the ultimate of patriotism, to both love this country and also look at what isn't working and look at the blind spots and look at what is heartless in our country. You see, there's a big difference between nationalism which is an ardent love of a country no matter what, and look at where history has shown that to be a problem, and patriotism, which is loving the country, but also contemplating what's going on and what's possible. Steve Denon wrote a book, Sacred America, Sacred World. I love his words. To evolve America, we truly need to love it. But once we've established that loving relationship, we also need to champion the next, greater, more mature version of our country. And he speaks of a kind of patriotism that is based on respectful love that looks unflinchingly at the truth of who we are, including all our failures, inadequacies, and problems, and calls us to our next higher potential. To do this shadow work, we need to look with clear eyes at some of the ways we've misused power, destroyed lives, and lived in partial truths about ourselves and our world. It takes courage to do this. 
And yet it's the underpinning of a responsible society and activated individuals who are contemplating what's going on and what's possible. And I believe there's much in the shadow of our country that needs to be looked at openly so that can, we can evolve beyond that. I'm talking about the continued race, racial issues and Im, implicit bias, the systemic discrimination against women, LGBTQ individuals, uh, minorities, African Americans. It's a shadow side that we must continue to look at. We have to look at the heartless immigration policies that are afoot in present time. We have to be willing to look boldly at the rampant gun violence, which is really revealing a cultural sickness in our country. We cannot deny this. We have to at some point take on the prison industrial complex that is unnecessarily incarcerating young people, often minorities, environmental crises that we cannot turn our heads, our hearts from. Shadow elements to look at because these things oppress us all. And we can look at them and we can start to have civil discourse about them. We can have conversations and explore. We can listen to one another. We can connect at the the level of our shared dreams and longings for, for a culture and a society that works well. We can get involved in truth and reconciliation efforts. And more than anything, we can all observe the sacred art of voting to advance us in our lives. So let us contemplate what is and what can be, not to be discouraged, but to be clear and passionate about our steps forward so that we can then, number three, conspire together. To conspire means to breathe together. And we need to breathe together. We can act together. We can be involved together. I'm pretty clear that governments and business are not going to solve the challenges of our country. But I know that our grassroots togetherness can make an enormous difference. We can conspire together for the kind of culture and society that we choose. I think of the beloved icon Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, who in 1955 in Montgomery, Alabama, refused to obey bus driver James F. Blake's order that she give up her seat in a colored section to a white passenger because the white section was full. Uh, And thus that led to the Montgomery uh, bus boycott and a much larger strategy for the civil rights movement. But it's interesting, most people don't uh, know that Rosa actually trained at the Highlander Folk School for Nonviolent Change only months earlier. And that it was all a part of working together to bring forth a higher awareness and to launch a new movement. I'm thinking of, a, of another wonderful being, Akilah Sherrills. Akilah Sherrills, an incredible being. He's a renowned peacemaker, lives in Watts. Uh, he, in 1992, helped broker the ceasefire between two rival L.A. gangs, the Crips and the Bloods. And that ceasefire is credited with lowering the death rate and violence in that area dramatically. Why did he do it? Well, Akila experienced the loss of 13 friends to gang violence. But beyond that, he lost his son, Terrell, to gang violence. Now, he... He could have retaliated with his own brand of violence, but instead he chose a path of peacemaking and building up a culture that could honor the life and the passing of his beloved son. He went on beyond that to develop Community Passage to Peace Initiative, which is addressing gang concerns in urban areas around the country. A person conspiring 
to make something healthy out of tragedy. Then there's this lady that I like so much, Judy, Judy Wicks. Judy uh, is a single woman who built and runs a financially successful and ecologically accountable uh, business called the White Dog Cafe uh, in Philadelphia. Now, this cafe serves regionally grown organic food, and it supports the network of farmers in that area who grow that food. And her staff shares in the profits and shares in the decision-making. But she went even beyond that kind of a conscious business. Her cafe also hosts community discussions around global issues of peace, renewable energy, rights of workers, habitat loss, and other concerns. And it's a place where residents can gather to find solutions to community problems. And it's, it's become a catalyst for neighborhood pride. And her whole focus is on the power of what's local. As things get more globalized and, and power structures are running economies, she says the real health and power is in local businesses and local community efforts. Conspiring all of these individuals at a grassroots level to make tremendous change and tremendous differences in our world. Yeah, we can be a part of this. I know that our social advancement stands as they roll out here at Mile High Church give us an opportunity to bring love and compassion behind social issues that we'll be addressing because they're moral issues and they're important issues and they're a part of our teaching that we're taking to the world. You'll hear more about that soon. It's caring. It's contemplating. It's conspiring and then committing. Committing our hearts and our minds and our energy, not just to our own self-service, but to the greater whole of which we're a part. For we really are interdependent. And it doesn't work to be the lone wolf, sitting on the sideline, uninvolved. The times won't allow that. And I believe, I actually happen to believe, that each and every one of us signed up to be here at these transformational, incredible times. We signed up to be here, and we brought a gift of some kind here. I wonder what that is in you that chose to be here now. Not just to go through it, but to be a part of the gifting within it. Contemplate that. It's committing and letting the path unfold before us. A little over a year ago, Erica and I took our oldest granddaughters, our beloved Daisy and Hazel, for a second time to New York City. Uh, first time, we, we took them to see Gabe Ebert, Barry's son in Matilda, uh, for which he won a Tony, and then the second time to see some other theater. And the first time, we just took a, a ship, that uh, kind of a ferry that cruised around the Statue of Liberty, because it, they were still repairing it from, from the the hurricane that hit the area. And then the last time we took them, we had decided we're going to climb into that, that lady. And we're, we're going to go up that thing the whole way. Now, I have great respect for the experience that Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen, the great uh, psychologist and physician, had when she shares that two days before my mother's 80th birthday... I asked her how she wanted to spend the day, and she said, I want to climb to the top of the Statue of Liberty. And I said, isn't there an elevator? And my mother looked at me and said, I want to climb the stairs. She'd lived in New York City for almost 80 years, but she had never had this experience. She clearly remembered her first view of the Liberty when she had sailed into the New York Harbor from Russia. She had been five years old then. 
Now, of course, she had a severe heart condition, and there were 342 steps to the top. I can attest to that. (laughs) Undaunted, I realized we could do it three or four steps at a time, resting in between. We would take her nitroglycerin and simply allow all day. When I proposed this to mom, she was delighted. During the six-hour ascent, I had many misgivings. How had I gotten into this crazy thing? Climbing the Statue of Liberty with an 80-year-old woman with a severe heart disease. But it was her wish. And so we continued, a few steps at a time. She may have had angina, but she also had an iron will. I think half of New York must have passed us on those stairs. (laughs) Finally, unbelievably, we were six or seven steps from the top. And as we stood there taking what must have been our 300th time out, My mother eyed the last few steps between her and her goal with resentment. Why, she said, couldn't we have done these first? (laughs) Well, Rachel concludes this story in a very powerful way that touches my heart. In thinking of this story now, I remember all the times that I, too, have resented the climb. The amount of living needed to gain the precious understanding to know how to live well. And how important it is in the struggle for freedom from the old ways not to be limited by style or self-expectations or to worry about what others think. To be willing to do the really important things any way you can, even three steps at a time. To be willing to do the really important things any way we can. The really important things, any way we can. I think that's what this time of year calls us to. That's what the situations call us to. That's what our heart is capable of. That's what the greatness in you and me demands. It's about foreseeing a brighter future, caring, contemplating, conspiring, and committing to the beauty of what we are creating together. Let's go for it. God bless you.